Stephen is known as the first martyr in the book of Acts. He was going around Jerusalem proclaiming the gospel. The Jewish Sanhedrin arrested him and put him on trial, asking why he felt compelled to preach Jesus. His response was a history lesson. Now what's that all about? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a minister and a historian. Now, I'm not some kind of official historian. I don't have a degree. I'm not a history expert. But I do say that because I study the Bible just about every day, and the Bible is a book of history. And since it was written by God, it's actually the most credible book of history in, well, history. Some have even said that history is the best word for it because the Bible is his story. And we're going to go into a history lesson on this special bonus episode of the podcast today. I call it a bonus because I'm dropping it uh, on a Thursday. I'm still going to have my regular episode next Monday, but I'm doing a special Thursday episode um, for a couple different reasons. One... It's because I'm going through our Ezekiel series, and uh, I'm trying not to slow down on that Ezekiel series, but chapter 20 has kind of slowed us down a bit because it's a it's a little bit of a long chapter, and it has some complex ideas, and I'm, I'm trying to take my time with them, but also I just want to keep powering through it bit by bit. So what I'm going to do is try to do a few extra episodes this month to kind of um, balance that out. Two, I'm, I'm also trying out the idea of releasing some bonus episodes on Thursdays because uh, I would like to do that some more this summer. Um, so consider this episode kind of a test run as far as that goes. This is this is something that normally would have released on a Monday, but you're basically getting it a little bit early. And so if if that's a little bit too much of me to, to handle in one week, you can just save it till Monday. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Now, why am I doing a study on Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin? Well, because it goes very well with what we've been getting into here, in the 20th chapter of Ezekiel. In this chapter, Ezekiel goes through Israel's history with an emphasis on their cycles of idolatry. And some commentaries have pointed out there's a lot of parallels with Stephen's retelling of Israel's history in the seventh chapter of Acts. And so I thought, well, let's talk about that. Because Stephen is doing something that's really fascinating with his speech about Israel's history. And I think it goes over a lot of our heads. One thing I learned from a- another podcast I was listening to a while back, it's called Hardcore History. And one thing I learned about is the thought that goes into deciding where you want to start when you start recapping history. Like, how far back do you go? Because the further you go down the rabbit hole, the deeper you see that the rabbit hole goes. And it's really, really easy to just keep going deeper and deeper and further and further back as you try to to figure out where you want to start telling your story. And so that's something you got to consider whenever you're going to talk about history. Another thing, though, is what aspects of the history are you going to emphasize? You know, it's very easy to skew or bias your history by only telling or focusing on one aspect of it. You know, say you're talking about America's history. Well, you could start, I guess, by listing all of America's great sins in its history, all of its human rights abuses. You could um, talk about all the things America got wrong and you would walk away from a history like that 
kind of shaking your head and deciding that America is a pretty terrible country. Or you could tell America's history as a story of overcoming obstacles, achieving things that no other country has achieved, a triumphant story of successes and victories. Well, then you'd think America was pretty awesome. Maybe you could tell America's history as a, a series of technological advances. Or perhaps you could tell an emphasis on all of our scientific discoveries. You can't focus on everything. You got to be selective whenever you tell someone's history. And you got to decide where are we going to start? You know, with America. Do you start America's story with the Declaration of Independence in 1776? Or do you start when they landed at Jamestown in 1607? Do you start it with Christopher Columbus before that? You see, where you begin your story and what details you choose to focus on will demonstrate what kind of story you're trying to tell. And now, as I said, the Bible is a history book. And, and actually, technically, it's several history books. Just about every book of the Bible contains some history. Some are for the purpose of recounting history. Uh, Kings emphasizes the Northern Kingdom. Chronicles emphasizes the Southern Kingdom. Both of those books emphasize the kings. They emphasize politics. Chronicles maybe is a little bit more biased toward the spiritual life. And so when you read the prophets, um, they tell some history, but they often emphasize society and culture because what details that you, you decide to focus on, they demonstrate what kind of story you're trying to tell. And so that's what we're going to analyze as we read about Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin right here, because Stephen is doing something in this chapter that the Bible does kind of often, recapping Israel's history. Um, that that happens a, a few different times in Scripture, and it can be kind of easy to just skim through these sections because they're so familiar. Because they, uh, they you know, they kind of feel like you've heard it all before. <laughs> you know, we know about Abraham, we know about Moses, we know about the wilderness and the Promised Land. All that stuff is old news to most of us. So we'd say, Stephen, why are you wasting our time with another history lesson? Well, there's a reason he's going into the history, and today we're going to figure that out together. So as we go into this lesson today, I'm going to assume that you know a few things. I'm going to assume uh, you know a few things about Stephen. Uh, but in case you don't, in chapter 6 of the book of Acts, he's one of the first deacons of a local church. He gets arrested. He gets put on trial before the Sanhedrin. Now, that's the same Jewish body that put Jesus on trial and demanded his death back in the Gospels. And so all this came about because um, Judah, or, uh, Stephen, he kept frustrating the Jews who tried to contradict him while he was teaching the people about Jesus. In Acts chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, it says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and, and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. So that's where this story is going to take place. Uh, I remember as a young boy, we had this illustrated Bible that was at our house. And um, Stephen's story is actually one of the first stories that I remember reading in that Bible when I was a young kid. I mean, this was like probably back around the time I was just learning how to read. But I always remember that page. I remember the big letters at the top of that page. It said, Stephen, the first martyr. And I remember the little breakout box on the page that explained what a martyr was. And I don't know if it was that, or maybe it was the, the picture of all the men standing around Stephen, holding rocks in their hands with which to stone him. Uh, maybe it's because of that. I'm not sure. But the, the stories always just really weighed heavily on me as I read it. 
Um, in all my years of pastoring, I've never taught on this before today. This is the first time I'm ever teaching on this because this is a story I've just never really wanted to dig into too much. It, like, it, like I said, it weighs heavily on me. And I'm going to assume that you know Stephen's story as well. I'm, I'm just telling you what it means to me. And so as Stephen's story goes, he's put on trial before the Sanhedrin. And, and here's the key point to remember today. They are standing in the temple in Jerusalem as they do this trial. That is a key point because he was accused, I'm saying Stephen, Stephen was accused by some false witnesses of being a blasphemer. They said that he had blasphemed God and Moses and the law and the temple. So Stephen's going to answer these charges by talking about God and Moses and the law in the temple. And so Acts 7-1 begins, And the high priest said, Are these things so? Because again, the question is, are you a blasphemer? And Stephen responds by, by going into a story of Israel's history. It's actually a very long answer. And so we're not going to read it all today. Um, it kind of cracks me up because it's like the, the, they ask him, it, let's see, four words. Are these things so? That's all they've asked him. Are these things so? It's like they're saying, Stephen, are you a blasphemer? And he says, okay, here's a history lesson. Let's talk about Abraham. <laughs> you know, It's like Abraham wasn't even a part of the accusation. But... But, but the type of history you're going to tell is relevant to where you begin the story. And so Stephen's going to recap a lot of the Old Testament, but of course he has to be really selective in which pieces of the Old Testament he's going to pull out. And so we're going to pay attention to what aspects of the Old Testament that Stephen emphasizes. So in verse 2, and Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. After his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. So Stephen's giving this history, and he goes all the way back to Abraham, the forefather of Israel, because Abraham is going to do something. Well, as we just read, he just did something, actually, that represented a pattern that repeats all throughout Israel's history. And there's several stories about Abraham that you could go into, but Stephen here focuses on the call of Abraham, where Abraham was living with the Chaldeans, and then God said, go out from your land and into the land I will show you, talking about the land of Israel, okay, the, or what was called the promised land a lot in the Bible. In those days, it was the land of Canaan, but it's talking about Israel, okay? So God says, go out into this land that I will show you, but then notice what verse 4 says. This is a detail here that would be very easy to miss. It says, Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, which is not Israel. <laughs> Abraham was called to go to the land of Israel, but first it said he went and lived in Haran. And this is something you've got to pay attention when you're reading your Bible. It's something the Bible does constantly. And about 90% of the time, Christians are reading their Bible and they come across something like this and they don't really pick up on it. They just kind of read on and read it through. They don't really give it a second thought. Okay, at least 90% of the time, Bible readers miss these kinds of details. What am I talking about? When a character is said to do one thing, but then they go and do a different thing. Okay, so they say they're going to do one thing, but then a different thing happens. All right, God says, go over here, but then they go over there. They, they say, okay, God, sure. And then they immediately do something else. All right, that kind of thing happens all the time in the Bible, constantly. 
and you got to keep an eye out for this. What you got to keep an eye out for, how often does someone's words match their actions? So often there's an incongruity there. People say one thing, but they do another, but we kind of don't even pick up on it a lot of the time. So right here, what happened was God said, go to the land of Israel, which at that time was the land of Canaan. And it says Abram immediately moved to Haran. And then Abraham stayed there till his father died, which is 25 years later. And then Abraham went to Israel. So basically, Abraham lived in disobedience for 25 years. He waited around in Haran for 25 years before going to do what God said. Um, the cross-reference for that, if you want to look it up, it's uh, Genesis chapter 11, if you look towards the end of that chapter. But listen, the first time he moved, he went to the wrong place. The second time he moved, he went to the right place. And if you're taking any notes on this, or if you want to make a note of this, here's what you should make a note of on verse 4. He got it wrong the first time. He got it right the second time. That is the key point today. He got it wrong the first time. He got it right the second time. And so this speech from Stephen, it's going to go on for 52 verses, basically, until the Sanhedrin just can't li listen to it anymore and they kill him. So we're not going to read all of it today, but let's let's skip down to verses 9 through 10. Uh, we're just going to kind of skip and, and look at a few verses today that I want to pick out. Actually, we'll start here at the end of verse 8. It says, Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. And again, we kind of know this story. This is talking about Joseph and his brothers. Um, they're called the patriarchs here because they were the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were they were filled with envy of Joseph. They, they just hated him. They wanted to kill him. Um, eventually, they decided to, ju to just sell him into slavery in Egypt. Um, and Stephen spent some time recounting the story. I, again, I'm just going to assume that you know it, and we're not going to read all the verses here today. But Joseph becomes very powerful, very influential in Egypt. Then a famine happens. The brothers come knocking on Egypt's door for food. Joseph is there. He's, as I said, very powerful in Egypt now. He's able to use his power to, to save the family. So he saves his, his brothers, the same brothers, who wanted to put him to death before, who sold him as a slave, and he's able to save them. God used that whole situation to save the, the family of Israel. Because um, if, if they had died out at this time, there would have been no, no Israel at all. So basically, God used the situation to save the patriarchs. And the brothers, the patriarchs, they realized that they had sinned and that they had gotten Joseph all wrong. And so what is the lesson? The lesson Stephen's pointing out, the patriarchs got it wrong the first time, they got it right the second time. If you want to write a note on this, write that down by this section. They got it wrong the first time, they got it right the second time. And then the next subject Stephen starts talking about is Moses and the Israelite slaves. Um, because the family of Egypt, or I'm sorry, because the family of Jacob moves down to Egypt, and they, they went to get that food that we were just talking about. Um, and then they settled down there in Egypt. The family grows. Eventually, the Egyptians start enslaving the Israelites. They become captives in Egypt. They can't get out. And we probably all know Moses' story, too, in the midst of this ordeal. God works it out so that Moses becomes a member of Pharaoh's family. Moses is placed in a very powerful position. He's an Israelite, and he is in line for leadership in Egypt. And then one day he sees one of the Israelite brethren 
being beaten or mistreated by one of their Egyptian slave masters. So Moses intervenes. He decides to save the slave by killing the Egyptian. Okay, we probably know the story, but I want you to listen to how Stephen characterizes it. Listen to the details that Stephen pulls out and what he emphasizes. So Acts 7, starting at verse 23, And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And that's a key line right there, verse 25. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian. So they didn't appreciate that Moses was trying to help them. Basically, they rejected him. They said, you're a murderer. Who put you in charge? And they rejected Moses' authority, the good authority of God's deliverer. Like, let me read verse 25 one more time. It said, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So see, if they had understood then, then back then God could have used Moses to deliver them. He could have done it back then. But since they rejected their deliverer the first time he came, Moses went into the wilderness. And then it was 40 years later when God came to him with a burning bush and, and God sent him back. And this time the Israelites did accept Moses as the leader. He, they accepted him as their deliverer and they followed him. But it could have actually been 40 years sooner if they'd just gotten it right the first time. And so here's what you could write down by this section. The Israelite slaves got it wrong the first time but they got it right the second time. The Israelite slaves got it wrong the first time. They got it right the second time. So perhaps you're seeing a pattern here now. This is a really amazing speech by Stephen. This is just such an interesting way that he's framing Israel's history. And we're not done yet. Let's keep going. So verse 38, he starts talking, still kind of talking about Moses. He talks about the first time that the Israelites were given the law. And guess what? <laughs> they didn't have such a great reaction the first time they heard the law. Verse 38 begins, talking about Moses. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. And to be clear, the oracles that he's referring to here, it's talking about the Ten Commandments and the law. This is what Moses had went up on that mountain to get. Verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. So basically what, what Stephen's bringing out here is that they rejected the law the first time they received it. And of course, now Stephen's standing before a council of people a group of people who have taken it upon themselves to enforce the Old Testament law. And he's saying, look, guys, we got it wrong the first time, but we've got it right now. We got it right the second time. 
That's what he's pointing out in verses 38 and 39, that Israel got it wrong the first time, but they got it right the second time. Then he starts talking about King David and how David wanted to take it upon himself to build God a temple. You can find that story in 2 Samuel. And remember, as Stephen's saying all this, they're standing right there in the temple. And David wanted to build God a temple himself. But God said, you're not the guy. And so verses 46 and 47, so it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. So the first time they wanted to build a temple, they got it wrong. God said David was not the right person to do it. And Stephen doesn't get into why, so I'm not going to get into it either. Again, the cross-reference for that is in 2 Samuel 7. But then Solomon comes along and God says, you're the guy. You do it. We see the pattern once again. They got it wrong the first time. They got it right the second time. And that's basically the end of Stephen's history. Now he's ready to make his main point. So everything for the first 50 verses of this chapter, it's all just been built up to Stephen's main point. It was all leading up to something, his main idea. Okay, and here's what it is in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. So if I can break in here, what he's saying is, you always get it wrong the first time. You always get it wrong the first time. You could write that down here too. You, your fathers did it, and now you, you always get it wrong the first time. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So Stephen has answered all the charges that they brought against him. They said, you're speaking against God and Moses and the law and the temple. And Stephen says, I'm speaking against them. <laughs> Let's talk about our history here. Abraham got the land wrong the first time and got it right the second time. The patriarchs got Joseph wrong the first time and got him right the second time. The slaves got Moses wrong the first time and got him right the second time. The Israelites got the law wrong the first time and got it right the second time. They got the temple wrong the first time and got it right the second time. You always get it wrong the first time. And now God himself came to earth, the righteous one, and you killed him. For the first time ever, God became a man and lived among you, and you got him wrong. Now, that wasn't the end of Stephen's speech, but his story gets cut off right there. Because at this point, they get so mad, they drag Stephen outside and kill him. They stone him to death, and he wasn't even done yet. But they had heard enough. It's a, it's a shame, right? Wouldn't it have been great if we could have heard the end of Stephen's speech, if we could have heard where he was going with all this? Well, actually, I think I do have a pretty good idea of what Stephen was going to say next. And, and I'll give you a minute to see if you can figure it out, too. I'm going to take a short break, and then let's talk about that. If you're enjoying this lesson today, uh, you can thank me by leaving a five-star review or a thumbs up, a like, whatever you do on the platform where you're listening. Uh, but I really appreciate that. Um, more than anything, if you think this is content worth sharing, uh, please say a prayer that more people would find it. 
Um, that's what I'd really appreciate more than anything. Um, not even asking you to share it yourself. I mean, you can if you want, but I'm just saying prayer would mean more to me than anything. Uh, so if 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 you think it's worth sharing, uh, please say a prayer. People would just would just find it. And if you don't think it's worth sharing, then pray I get better at this. <laughs> I, I appreciate those kind of prayers too. If you have a question on anything today or just want to leave a comment or shoot an email, that would be best sent to crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. Um, or if you have hate mail, that's the place to send it. Um, if you're on YouTube and you want to leave a hateful comment, I just ask that you use good spelling and punctuation because it gets really annoying when someone disagrees with me, but I can't figure out why. So, um, you know, just make sure you you copy edit your hate mail before you send it. Next time on this podcast, I want to jump right back into Ezekiel and we're going to start covering the next stretch of chapter 20 right from where I left off last time. But today, just to recap, Jesus has been making a point, or I'm sorry, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen has been making a point about Israel's history, a pattern that repeats every single time that God has tried to help them in their history. They always reject it the first time, and then they get it right the second time around. That's the pattern. And Stephen's also trying to make a point that this parallels how they treat Jesus. So we'll start with Abraham. We're just going to recap real quick. Abraham. God sent him into the land of Israel. Abraham immediately moves somewhere else. You know, lives in the wrong place for like 25 years, okay? Moves a second time and moves to the right place. Therefore, he got it wrong the first time, but got it right the second time. Joseph's brothers. Joseph was the guy that God sent to save the family. They beat him up and threw him in a hole. Now, some have suggested that Joseph was, you know, maybe he was a bit bratty. Maybe he was spoiled. And maybe that was the case. I mean, he was the baby of the family after all. But that didn't give them the right to do what they did. God had actually sent them a deliverer. But they got him wrong. They misjudged him. They got it wrong the first time. They got it right the second time. Verse 13 says, And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. They got him wrong the first time, but they got him right the second time. Three, we looked at the Israelite slaves. This was about, this was really about Moses, but Moses wasn't the guy who got it wrong. In Stephen's opinion, Moses was being raised up to deliver the Israelites the first time around, but they rejected him. And so they had to remain in slavery for uh, 40 years longer than it really needed to be. Verse 35 really shows this beautiful pattern. Verse 35, it says, This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So when Moses came back 40 years later, then they accepted his leadership. They got it wrong the first time. They got it right the second time. Number four, the law. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the law from God. The Ten Commandments. He came back down. Israel had already turned to an idol. Stephen says to the Sanhedrin, and look where you are today. You're sitting around trying to apply God's law. They were applying it foolishly, but that's not really the point. The point is they had finally realized the importance of God's law. They got it wrong the first time. They got it right the second time. Then it comes to the temple. David wants to build a temple. God says, you're not the guy, but then his son would be the guy. And that's the pattern. That's the point. Israel always gets it wrong the first time, but then they get it right the second time. And Stephen builds up to this, saying this at the end about how they treated Jesus, who was their deliverer. Stephen starts making the point 
that just like they rejected Joseph the first time around and rejected Moses the first time, they rejected Jesus the first time he came. And then they take Stephen outside to kill him. But if you think about it, that's not the end of the pattern. If there's a first time, that means there's going to be a second time. They got Jesus wrong before. That means according to the pattern, there's going to be a second time where they get him right. It's going to happen again. Jesus is going to come again. But this time, Israel will get it right. In fact, there, right before Jesus went to the cross, this is what he told Jerusalem, Matthew chapter 23. He says, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The second coming of Christ is not going to happen until the Jewish people get saved and accept Jesus. Okay, now when I say the second coming of Christ, I'm not talking about the rapture because nothing has to happen before the rapture can take place. The rapture could be at any moment. But the second coming has some conditions that need to be met before it can take place. There's several events prophesied before Jesus comes back. In Romans 11, verses 25 through 27, it gives this really amazing prophecy about Israel itself. Paul says, Lest you be wise in your own spirit, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. He says, all Israel. So collectively, someday, Paul says, someday the Jews of the world will come to accept Christ as the Messiah and the Savior. Now again, Jesus has said he's not going to come back the second time until they do make this turn, until they do turn to him. Okay, so that's that's one prerequisite, we could say, for the second coming of Christ. One thing that has to happen is the Jewish people need to collectively get saved. I don't mean like 100% of all Jewish people everywhere. But what I mean is like, as a general rule, oh, but just about all of them, basically. Okay, what I mean is, if you look right now, about 1% of Jewish people today are Christians. That's why Paul says a partial hardening has come upon them. Like their hearts are hard-hearted toward Jesus right now. Doesn't mean it's impossible for a Jew to be saved, but it's very, very unlikely right now because there's a partial hardening on their hearts. Right now, we're in the time of the Gentiles. God's turned his attention to the non-Jewish world. A higher percentage of Gentiles are believers than Jews are. But when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, basically when when all the Gentiles who are going to be saved get saved, then Israel's hearts will be opened and they'll turn to Christ. And that's one of the reasons that it's so amazing that we live in a time in history that actually has a nation of Israel. Like if there was no Israel as a nation, how, are, how would we know if Israel was repenting and turning to God? So we're seeing the stage right now being set for prophecy to be fulfilled. And what does Bible prophecy tell us about Israel in the future? Let me give you the bullet points of what is in Israel's future. There's going to be a rapture. After that rapture, the world is going to be in disarray. An antichrist will take control of the earth. He'll be given control of the earth for seven years. And he's going to keep the peace pretty well for the first half of the seven years. He's going to actually present himself as a friend of the Jewish people. Some will even believe that the Antichrist is the Messiah. Halfway through that seven-year period, 
he will turn on the Jewish people and he's going to start massacring them. They flee to the mountains. They hide away in the desert. Scripture tells us the exact place where they're going to go hide in the books of Daniel and Isaiah. And during this time, while they're hiding away, there's another Holocaust. Two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to die. For comparison's sake, in the Holocaust of Adolf Hitler, one-third of the Jewish people were wiped out. The book of Zechariah says that in the next Holocaust, two-thirds will be killed. However, they realize not only that the Antichrist was not the Messiah, they're going to realize that Jesus Christ was and is their Messiah. And they will finally repent and turn to him. Zechariah 12, 12.10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And when the Jewish people repent and turn to Christ, that's the last prerequisite before Jesus returns, the second coming of Christ. It's gonna begin with weeping. The Jews are gonna mourn. They're gonna say, we killed our Messiah. We got it wrong the first time. Now, Stephen never got to finish his speech, but I think we know what he was going to say. They'll get it right the second time. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that our God is a God of second chances. <laughs>